So I hope your new year has gotten off to a great start. Uh, but just think, even if it hasn't, you only have 363 more days to deal with it, right? <laughs> Today's, sorry, okay. Let me, let me try that again so hopefully you can all laugh. No, uh, this year is a leap year, uh, so we do have 366 days instead of 65. Uh, but for many people, the start of a new year is hopeful. Some people dread it. Some people are excited about it. I don't know where you fall in to that cal- category, but when the calendar changes, it kind of gives us an opportunity to um, have a fresh start. Um, I've been trying to focus on my physical fitness recently in the last couple months, and there's a joke that's been passed around online that says the gym, it's got a picture, and it says the gym after New Year's for two weeks. The parking lot is absolutely jam-packed filled. And then two weeks after New Year's, there's like two cars in the parking lot because the resolutions start to fail, or, or rather the people who make the resolution start to... to um, maybe just kind of lose their focus and go a different direction. And that's something that as we start a new year, we might think about things like we might make a commitment. I'm going to spend more this year and save less. Okay. I'm working. Okay, I'm trying to warm up the crowd this morning. No, listen, you... I'm going to work on saving more and spending less. I'm going to live healthier. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to um, get a promotion. We're going to have a bigger family this year. We're going to be more financially stable this year. Whatever it is that we have these goals that we set. But I want to encourage you today, uh, it's my job to tell you this, but it's definitely my heart's passion and desire that I think sometimes we focus on those physical things like money or a house or fitness or whatever else, and we lose sight of making a spiritual resolution. So today, I want to challenge you that in this service today, at the beginning of 2016, that you take an opportunity at the end of the service to make a spiritual resolution, one that you can keep, one that's smart, you know, that's measurable, that's achievable, that's time-bound, not one that says, I'm going to read through the Bible seven times this year, unless you read through the Bible six times last year. (laughs) Okay, but I'm going to read through the Bible and I'm going to read it regularly. That's a good thing. I'm going to serve in the church. I've not done that before. It's been a while since I have. So I'm going to jump in and do that. I haven't done what pastor was talking about a minute ago and tithe 10% of my income. And I'm going to start doing that this year. I'm going to start today. You can still write a check before we close the doors at the end of service. You can do any of these things and make a spiritual resolution. And that's really the challenge today. There are two places in Scripture that I want us to focus in on. We do not have them on the screen. So turn in your Bibles or go on your phone, Joshua chapter 21 and John chapter 17. Joshua chapter 21 and John 17. I really think that there is a um, monumental difference between knowing something and believing something. We talked about in the last time you were with us and we were all together right before Christmas, we talked about the gift of Christmas being love. We talked about hope and joy in the Christmas season. And we read from 1 John and we talked about how John, the disciple that Jesus loved, wrote a lot about love. And he says something that's really important. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but he says something there. He says, they have known and they now believe So there's a big difference between those two things. You can have information, you can know information, you can be really good at trivia and have all the answers, but belief is a little different because it's rooted, it's, 
I would say it like this. Knowledge is, is factual, and belief is something that causes your life to be different. I believe that God will provide, so I pray that he provides, and I work, and I have a job, and I, and I go, I do my part, God does his part. I see his faithfulness, I've known it and understood it. I've seen God where he's healed people. I can read the testimony of scripture. I know what Christ did when he walked the earth. I know what God did through the prophets and through those in the Old Testament, how he healed the leper, how he healed the blind. And I believe that I can pray and write a name on that board for healing that God will heal even today. So because of that, and there are people in this room who have had the testimony of God's healing in their own body and in their own life. Because of that, I can believe God for something greater. I can believe him for something bigger, something larger. Not as a want for me, not as a I want a bigger car or a bigger house, but I am believing God that he's going to heal my parents of their illnesses and disease. I believe that God is going to bless our church financially. I believe that he's going to multiply you. God said he'd build the church, but guess what? He doesn't do it through magic. He does it through us. He builds his church through us. So we've got to do our part. God does his part. It's a perfect system. Whatever goal that you set, going back to that, I encourage you to make a smart one. Make it be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and make it be bound by time. So as we talk about knowing and believing, I was thinking as I prepped for the sermon, I was thinking about the um, NBC campaign that started in the 80s with the quick little blurb that showed up on TV, and it was a public service announcement that was called The More You Know. And they would say something, and you're nodding your head, you know some of the things that have been said, but it started, it's a, it's a pretty interesting way that the whole thing got started. The public service announcement got started as a result of a lack or a shortage of teachers. So they thought that they would put some information on TV that would help and talk about different things, talk about finance, talk about health, talk about money, whatever it was. And so they put all these things out there thinking that a 30-second blurb of knowledge would change and shape America. It, it hasn't. But we know that there is something that's the knowledge of the Word of God that can literally change and shape our own lives if we would apply it, if we would believe what God says in his word. So if you're there in Joshua chapter 21, I want us to look at the end of the chapter, verses 43 to 45. I'll read them for you, but you follow along whatever version that you have. It says this in verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. This is why God can be believed. This is why he's trustworthy. It says there that not a single promise that he made to the people of Israel ever failed. 
because his words came true. When he promised them he'd bring them into the land, he did. When he promised them he would provide for them literally bread from heaven, he did. When he promised that he would guide them around in the desert and teach them many wonderful lessons that they needed to learn before entering into the promised land. He did. Every promise that God has ever made, he has fulfilled or is fulfilling. He will never fail. This is what is incredible about our faith. This is what's worthy of our focus at the start of a new year because I don't know what happened to you in 2015. I don't know what kind of struggle you've had. I don't know what kind of health issue or what kind of... um, emotional problem or work-related problem or whatever you might have faced in 2015. But I do know this, that regardless of what our circumstance dictates to us, God was faithful. And regardless of what will happen in 2016, whatever it might be, God will be faithful. This is what we believe. And this is the difference between knowing something and believing something. Listen to what the book of John, we, we're talking and we're going to look at ver, uh, chapter 17 in a minute. But in John chapter 2, Jesus performs the first sign of his ministry. And this is awesome. I don't call it a miracle, neither does the word of God. It says it's a sign of his ministry. He turns water into wine. It's an incredible story. There's some really cool nuances there. But it says this in verse 11. This is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee in manifesting his glory and his disciples believed in him. So they knew him. They were already labeled his disciples. They had already been walking with this guy who was going you know, a mile a minute sharing truth and knowledge with them. But then all of a sudden, he actually put it into practice and they saw him do something and that made him made them believe in him. Sometimes I think we get sidetracked and we may not be seeing God do something. So we think we've been left behind. I think about that footprints poem that's used a million times, I'm sure. But I think about that footprints poem and the, the truth that's there, that God is with us even when we're not sure that he is with us, that he's working all things together for our good, even when we don't see how it's going to work out. We could look at the testimony of Joseph and how he was walking through the seasons of his life. And I'm talking about years, seasons, plural, about what happened in his life. Tragedy after tragedy, false accusations, sold into slavery, all of these things in the dungeon of despair. And yet God was working something out of him and working him into something. He was providing something for Joseph that Joseph could have never worked up in his own strength. God's doing something in your life even when you don't give him credit for it. Amen? God's doing something in the middle of any tragedy, in the, many, in the middle of any hardship, in the middle of any good thing that happens. God wants to do something in your life in 2016. He wants to set you free in a different way. He wants to bring you power in your spiritual life. He wants to give you grace with your spouse. He wants to bring healing and restoration to relationships. He wants those things for you. We just reach out to him and say, God, help me walk into your will. My prayer for this church and for our city is that God's dream for Celebrate Church would come true. 
I'm not quite sure what it entails. I've seen a little glimpse. I get a little excited when I think about what God has planned for us. But I don't know all of the plans of the Lord. I just know the pieces that he gives to me. And I continue to pray. And I will be praying this week. I would encourage you to pray this week and this year. That God's dream for your life would come true. That it wouldn't just be you going through the motions. But that God would really have his own dream for you become a reality in your own life, in your church, in your city. So I love John chapter 2 when it says that the disciples began to believe in him. Joshua chapter 21, when we see that none of God's promises to Israel had failed, every one of them had been fulfilled. This is, this is powerful truth for us. This is something that you can hang your life on, that you can depend on. Deuteronomy chapter 7, you don't have to go there, but I'll read the verses quickly. It says this, in chapter 7, verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Talking to the nation of Israel. For you were the least of all people, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. There's our part. That's, that's our part. God isn't the magician that's just going to wave a magic wand and change our lives. He gives us a part to play for those who love him and keep his commandments. Are we loving God in 2016? Are we setting our sights on that in 2016? In all of the resolutions and the goal setting and whatever else. And maybe you don't. (laughs) Maybe you just say, nah, let it come as it comes. It's no big deal. Maybe you've had a really bad experience where you failed and fallen short. There's good news. We all have fallen short. The Bible tells us we've even fallen short of God's goodness, his grace. We've fallen short of his favor. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. So in 2016, are we loving him? Are we committing to live according to his commandments? Because if we do, then we see the promise is there for Israel. As he was speaking to the people of Israel, he was saying, you're the least, you're the littlest. It's not because you're great, because you're handsome, because you're wonderful, because anything that you did to deserve this is because I choose to love you. And I believe with all of my heart, God wants to speak that word to Celebrate Church and to each one of you individually this morning. God chose you because he loves you. This is a good thing. He's a promise-keeping God. So I want us to dissect and look in John chapter 17. I I don't want to scare you, but we're going to go through the whole chapter. (laughs) John chapter 17. It's our focus for today. It's an entire chapter where Jesus prays. It's pretty incredible that God's son, Jesus Christ, needed to spend time with his father, with his heavenly father. There are three headings in the chapter. In most Bibles, it'll say these three headings. Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples and he prayed for all believers. Sometimes there's another one that says, and he prayed for all others. In the end of chapter 15, Jesus says these words. Did I say 15? I think 16. 
I'll just double check. Flip back and look at the end of chapter 16. I wrote 15 in my notes, but Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So look up at me for just a second and think about this. When we think about the hope that we have in 2016, we have this blessed assurance that Jesus has said, you are going to face tribulation. Smile. I don't know why, but even I, all of us do. We cry, we whine, we moan in the middle of our tragedy, in the middle of the tribulation, in the middle of the testing. And I'm not talking about somebody cutting you off. I am talking about big stuff in your life. Jesus wasn't saying people will cut you off and someone will say something wrong to you. He was saying you're going to have trouble. Trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I have done the work. I have provided you victory. It's because of who I am, he's saying this to us, that you can be who I want you to be. It's because of who Jesus Christ is that you can be who he wants you to be. So Jesus, he's literally God in the flesh. We talk about that at Christmas. But he is deity incarnate. And he himself found it necessary not just to set an example for you and I to say, hey, let me do this so I can show people this is what they've got to do. But in chapter 17, he actually takes time to pray to the Father because he himself needed to do that. There's some serious prayers in John chapter 17. It's not, Lord, bless this food. <laughs> it's not, Lord, help me to not kill my coworker today. It's not something simple, okay? It's a big deal that he starts to pray. And look down at verse 1 through 5, and we're going to talk about his prayer for himself. Reading along with me, it says, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, quoting Jesus' words, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So he's praying to God, his Father, in that moment, in the position of being the Son who was sent to the earth. He's reminding the Father of what he said. He's reminding the Father of what he's done. He says, you have given me all authority. Did you ever think about that, that it's okay to remind God? God, you said in your word that you would provide. You said in your word that you would heal. You said that it's your will that everyone, not none, should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. It's okay to remind God, not because he forgot, but because it helps us remember he's promised and he will keep the promise that he makes. So here Jesus is reminding the Father of the authority that's given to him. He makes the statement that he's finished the work the Father has given him to do. And he prays for restoration. He prays to the Father 
God, when I get back to you, Father, when I get back to you, restore to me the place that I was before I got into this flesh. Please, God, bring me back into right standing beside you. That's what he's praying to the Father. This is incredible. There's restoration there. There's the reminding of God the Father of what he's done. There is the completion of work. That's why I said what I said, and I'm going to say it every year. I'll say it every Sunday if I have to. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less or more because he's finished the work. He's done it. That doesn't give you a cop out to sin or live your life the way you want to. It gives you the ability to stand in the grace of God and say, he loves me. This is what's awesome about what we're looking at today. Jesus had this sure, this, this sure mentality, this connection with the Father that he knew that God loved him. And I feel like the challenge for us sometimes, the first hurdle for us to get over is that God loves us. We don't really believe that when we pray, or we might pray differently. We might pray more intensely. We might pray more, more along the lines of what God's dreams are. Jesus spoke to the Father like he was his Father. <laughs> what a novel idea. It's the same thing. This is a, a, a mirror for us to look at today that we can see the same thing for our own lives, that when we pray, as we make a spiritual resolution in 2016, as we look at what God has done in the past, in our life, in Scripture, in the testimony of faith, we can see what He's done, and it brings us to this place that whatever tribulation I face, God will be faithful. And I can speak to Him like He's my Father, because He is. Look at verse 6. It says this, John chapter 17, verse 6 through 8. I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Listen closely to the words. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is the problem with the Pharisees throughout the New Testament in the life of Jesus Christ. They did not believe that Jesus had been sent from the Father. Everywhere he went when he was confronted by the religious crowd and those who were the Pharisees and the, the, the different sects of people that were there, they would accuse him of blasphemy saying, there's no way you can talk about yourself like you're the son of God. There's no way that you can talk about yourself and say that this scripture applies to you. That's blasphemous. Because they didn't understand and they didn't believe in their heart that God had sent him. So here he's speaking to the Father and he says, Now, my disciples, my friends, my brothers who've walked with me, that you've given to me, they've received your word and they know surely that I've come from you and they believe that you sent me. Here again is the difference between believing and knowing. So verse 9 through 19 is another section. He says here, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Hold on a second. Did you hear that? Jesus said these words. I pray for them, otherwise his people, his followers. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Here's what I want to say to you. 
there's a protection clause in this agreement that we have. When we become the children of God, that means we're his and he's ours. That means everything that is available to us as the children of God is available to us. It's available to you and to I. This is powerful truth, very simple. But if we would live our life according to the belief that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and through him I am his child, man, it changes the way that I live. It changes the way I treat my spouse. It changes my thoughts about my life and the direction of my life. It changes the the marriage that I have. So Jesus says in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who's he talking about there? Judas. He lost one. He didn't have a 100% conversion ratio. Jesus says, I've kept all of them, but this one, but it was that the scripture would be fulfilled. So he's had a good track record. Are you, are you hearing that this morning? Jesus has a good track record. So he says in verse 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So he's talking there and he's praying for the people that he's referencing, not the world, but the disciples and the believers. He's saying, my prayer is that they would be one as you and I are one. How close are God the Father and God the Son? They're one. They're inseparable. I tell my kids all the time, and maybe you should tell your kids this. If you haven't, you should try it. Uh, You probably do. Mommy and daddy are the same person, baby. My girls know there is a severe punishment, a severe punishment. If you have asked mommy and she has told you an answer and you have come and snuck around and asked daddy, because you are questioning my life. (laughs) My wife is going to kill me if I say the wrong thing. So I say this, what did mommy say? Because that's what you're supposed to do, guys. If you haven't tried it, you should. Or what did daddy say? Oh, well, I sent them to you to ask you. Okay, good. That means I have the freedom to tell them whatever I want to, and she can't be mad at me. Mommy and daddy are one. The Bible says the two shall become one flesh. When we're married, when husbands and wives come together, they become one person. So Jesus is praying the same prayer. And marriage is a perfect example of what God wants from us. We're called the bride of Christ. And that's a really weird analogy for me to gain. 
when we're singing words like that in worship, we, you know, we are the bride of Christ. Well, I've never put on a wedding dress, but I get the understanding that we're coming together. Jesus and his church are coming together. They're becoming one. And he's praying right here, Father, would you make them be like we are? Would you help them be one? That means he's praying for unity. He's praying for there to be no division or division. He's praying that they would be one. He's also praying that they would have joy, not just any joy, but Jesus' his joy fulfilled in them. I've met some sour Christians. I feel really bad for them. They haven't tapped into the joy that's available in Christ. It's so easy. It's just... It's just too easy. I want to say this, and don't be offended because I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about them. But it's idiot proof. It really is. You just come to him and you ask him. That's really how easy. You just come and you say, God, I'm having a problem with this coworker. God, I can't seem to get rid of this attitude I have. God, I can't get rid of this person I have. God, you just come to him and ask. Prayer is dialogue. It's not monologue. If you understand the difference, that means it's a two-way street. It's a conversation coming back and forth. It's not just one person speaking. It's not this right here. It's not you coming in and demanding from God all the things you need from him. It's you taking a moment to shut up and to listen to what he speaks to you. You'd be surprised at what he has to say. You really would. At least I have been. He's told me to go fix things. He's told me to apologize. He's told me I'm an idiot. He said these things to me because he wants me to be like him. Stop saying amen so loud. He, he wants me to be like him. He wants you to be like him. It's so easy to pray. We, we don't have to say thee and thou and talk in King James Version English. We can simply say, God, I need you. God, I need your grace today. God, would you help my wife? Would you help her on her job? She's got a classroom full of devils. Would you help them be angels today? God, just a simple prayer. It's true. Pray for my wife. Um, it's true. We just come to God and we say, God, I need you. And then we take a moment. That's what we're going to practice this week. We're going to take moments where we just sit in the presence of God and wait to hear him speak to us. You say, well, why, why do I have to wait to hear him speak to me? Because we're so distracted by everything else in this world. It takes us a few minutes to shut off. And it takes somebody like me, who's an extroverted, extra talker, to shut up. And to stop. <laughs> and, to just, and to just sit in the presence of God and ask him, God, what do you want to say to me? That's why I love the prayer that we often pray at the end of our service. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today in this message? Are you challenging me to pray more in 2016? Are you challenging me to give? What spiritual resolution should I make this year? I promise you when you ask him, he'll answer you. If you be quiet, he'll speak. I believe with all of my heart, the prophets did it. It says in Hebrews, the prophets heard from God in the old days because that was God's system. But now that Christ has come, the Holy Spirit's available to every one of us and he speaks to us. This is good stuff. There are things here in verse 15. This surprises me. Jesus makes a proclamation or a declaration and he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of this world. But I pray that you would 
keep them from the evil one. And I would add parentheses that is in this world. So keep them on the straight and narrow. I'm not asking you for them to go off into some la-la land and hide out in the woods. I am telling you, they're your kids. You've called me to, send, to, to be here to give them your word. Now I send them out like you sent me out, and I'm praying that while they're in the world, you would keep them. Keep them. And then he says, sanctify them by your truth. The word sanctification is something we don't use very often. You probably haven't said that word in a while. Lord, sanctify me. It's a good prayer to pray. What it means is cleansing, cleaning, purifying. So Jesus says there in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your truth, your word is a light unto my feet and it's lamp unto my path. I can hide God's word in my heart that I will not sin against him because his word is truth and pure. It purifies me. The last few verses where I'm racing. I hope you're staying up with all the caffeine I've got, okay? Verse 20, it says this. I've got a big game to watch too in a few minutes. Actually, everyone has a big game to watch because there are like a dozen games going on at noon. Uh, but anyway, John chapter 17, back to Jesus and his prayer. Verse 20, it says this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that I may, that they may, I'm sorry, be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There's a lot of back and forth here, and he talks very clearly to the Father, but he says this, he's prayed for me. He's prayed for everyone who would come. The Bible says that Jesus, while he was on the earth, he ministered to a woman, and he said, Come drink from me. If you would drink from me, you'll never thirst again. He said it on the steps of the temple as well. He said, I have, I am the living water. So all those who come, who will come, Jew, Gentile, Asian, black, Hispanic, white, it doesn't matter, German, whatever your race is, whatever people, whoever is born on this earth has the ability to come to him. No matter what it is, no matter what defect or what disease or what problem or what sin, you can come to him. This is truth that you ought to share with people because I feel like we're hoarding it. I feel like we're hoarding it. I feel like we're not sharing it enough with others. We'd see some different things if we were, but that's a challenge for all of us in 2016 to share the light and the love of the truth. Here's, here's my PSA for the day. This is the more you know. Jesus is the only way to heaven. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. I must accept that fact. I must confess my sins. Not just say I'm a sinner, but I must tell God what I've done to violate his laws. Then I believe that he's died for me and not in a grave, but he's rose for me as well. And I live my life in accordance to his word as best as humanly possible. That's it. 
the more you know. That's what we need to be sharing with others. But he prays there that those who will come, that they would be one as well when they join they would be one as well and that they would be made perfect. The joke was made the other day that this church is filled with, or I I think I said these words, this church is filled with works in progress. We are all works in progress, myself included. The most holy person you've ever met included. Mother Teresa was included in that same category, a work in progress. that they would be made perfect in one. And one day we will be made perfect. Verse 24 in closing. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So good. O righteous Father, The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. He's loved you before the foundation of the world. Let that sink into your heart for a minute. Whatever your thoughts are on God, whatever disappointment you may have experienced in your life of faith, whatever struggle or question that you have about God, think about that for a moment. Before you were ever here and lived a day, Psalm 139 says, He knew us and He loved us. And guess what? He still chooses us. Not because we're big, not because we're strong, not because we're great or most attractive, not because we're wealthy, not because we're anything in any category that man would look at, but because we're a ragtag bunch that he loves. Amen. Would you stand with me today? I want to encourage you to make a spiritual resolution. As Eric comes to play on the guitar, I just want you to stand for a moment in in just a quiet moment of, of worship before the Lord. And I want you to pray that prayer. Just whisper that prayer out today. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? What are you saying to me? And then let's take a moment in his presence just to listen, to see what he might say to you. you're here. The word of God says that where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, you are in the midst of us. Today, I believe that the Holy Spirit's used this message that you put on my heart for the beginning of 2016, not to set a resolution that we know will fail or to set some unattainable goal, but God, to set something measurable in place in our spiritual life. Help us, Lord, not to walk out of here saying, yeah, I checked all the boxes but help us today to dedicate ourselves to you. Would you just take a moment and dedicate yourself to that commitment? Whatever it is that you feel is the thing that that God's spoken to you or that you decided today you want to make a spiritual goal for 2016, take a minute to solidify that in prayer. 
Father, I pray over us today that as we make these commitments, as we make these uh, goals, as we set these things before you, God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. We are a faithless people. We are unfaithful to you, God. We have broken your laws and your and your rules and your commandments. We do not love as we ought. We do not walk as we ought. We do not think or talk as we ought. But God, in your grace, would you look down and would you touch your people today? Would you help us to be the people that you dream for us to be? Would you help us to be those who set a spiritual resolution, set our eyes in this direction, and we march towards it, God? Would you help us, Lord, that as we struggle to maintain our commitment this year, whatever it is that's being spoken in our hearts right now, that you would give us grace to be able to say, like you said, the work has been finished. It's been completed. I was faithful. Lord, help us this year to be faithful to you, to be faithful to give, to be faithful to service, to be faithful to love our neighbors, to be faithful to speak and share the truth of God's word with others. God, I thank you for Celebrate Church. I thank you for the 42 and a half, almost 43 years that you brought us through. I thank you for the three years I've had a part in this place. I thank you for the people who are in this room right now and for those who call Celebrate Church their home. And I pray a blessing upon them today that they would have an experience this year that through every tribulation, through every trouble, through every trial, that God, they would see the hand of God moving on their behalf. Lord, that you're working all things together for our good, even when we don't see it, God. Bless us today as we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'm glad you were here. Go out like Jesus asked God to send them out. I send you out this week that you would share this hope with others. Amen? All right. Love you guys. Happy New Year.